take your Bibles, please, and turn with me to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. Begin reading in a few moments with the 11th verse. Beginning next Sunday, I'm going to be doing a series of sermons on Joseph. And this is going to go along with what you're going to be studying in Sunday school. Because, you know, beginning next Sunday, we've got Sunday school material for all of the classes, all of the age groups on Joseph. And we're going to be thinking about Joseph and the impact that he made because he was a good steward of what God gave him. And so we'll be thinking about that uh, in Sunday school and in worship services, looking at Joseph at those things. And uh, I'm going to be looking, you know, beginning next Sunday with, you know, how are you a good steward of the challenges that come your way? Joseph faced some huge challenges. So how are we a good steward when life challenges us? And we'll be thinking about the beginning next week. Right. Baseball season's just starting, which means it won't be a real long time until football season. And, uh, I wasn't up this church very long before I found out there's some really, how should I say it, good, <laughs> maybe I should say rabid, you know, football feds for a, a certain school that's nearby. Now, uh, suppose that it comes up this fall, and there's a beautiful fall day, you know, the sun's shining, but there's a crisp breeze blowing, and, you know, the stadium is full of people, and the band's playing, and the cheerleaders are cheering, and Cocky's running around doing his thing, and everybody's getting real excited. It comes down time for the game to start, and they announce the starting lineup. And as the starting lineup is announced, it goes this way. Quarterback, Steve Spurrier. Tight end, Steve Spurrier. Center, Steve Spurrier. Defensive back, Steve Spurrier. And it goes on and on with him playing all the positions. Do you think Carolina will win that day? Probably not. He's a fantastic coach, but a little bit old to be on the field playing. Do you ever stop to think that sometimes we want to do church that way? You know, that we want one or two people to carry the whole load and the rest of us be the fans or the spectators. We need to think about how it's really supposed to work. And that's what we're going to be doing today as we look at this passage of Scripture. Now, we have been looking at the five functions of a church. And as we have looked at the five functions of a church, we've thought about evangelism. And we have thought about discipleship. And we have thought about fellowship. And we are going to be thinking today about one other. We're going to be thinking about ministry. And as we think about ministry today, we're going to be seeing how all of us are to be involved in ministry. So keep that in mind as we look at this passage of Scripture because we're going to be thinking of these things and what ministry means. Ministry is meeting the needs of another person in Jesus' name. It's seeing the need and responding to that need. And that means that we do that for one another. We do that for church members. And we do that as well for the people who are outside the church. With church members, it's serving one another. You know, we're responding to the needs of one another. 
with people outside of the church, it's more of missions, as we're trying to serve them so that we have the opportunity to share the good news of Jesus Christ with them. Every church has the responsibility to lead us as members to the place where we discover what our gifts and abilities are that God has given us, where we develop them, and where we use them in ministry. Because you see, according to the Scripture, we are all to be ministers. So let's look at this passage of Scripture. Ephesians chapter 4, beginning with verse 11. It's talking about Christ. It says, It was He who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers, to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of men and their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up unto Him who is the head, that is, Christ. Our goal is to do what Christ wants us to do. Now, we're going to think, first of all, about the role of ministers. What are the ones who have the official title of minister, such as me and such as the rest of the staff? You know, what is our role? Our role is that Christ gave various ministers to the church to do various things. And here they were listed, the ones that were, you know, prominent in the New Testament time. First of all, there was the apostles. And the apostles were eyewitnesses of Jesus. They were the ones who had been with him. They were the ones who had seen him. They were the ones who had seen him and interacted with him after he was raised from the dead. And so it was their job to begin to tell the good news of Jesus. It was their job to get the church started. And that's what they did. And then there was another group, list them here as prophets. These were the people who told forth the Word of God. And they did it with clarity, and they did it with conviction, and they were seeking to lead people to conviction, and they were seeking to encourage people. Then there was another group that were the evangelists. And the evangelists were those who shared the message of Christ and could do so in such a way that others would come to receive Jesus as Lord and Savior. And then there were the pastors, and the pastors were to shepherd the flock, to look after them and to teach them and to share with them the Word of God. Now, we have ministers today. We don't have the apostles today. We have ministers that serve in other ways. And we have a certain role. There are various kinds of ministers, and we are to prepare God's people for works of service, as it says there in verse 12. That's the job of the minister, to prepare the people to do the works of service. We'll look at that a little bit more. The ministry of the minister is to prepare the members to minister. You like that? The ministry of the ministers that you have at this church, me and the staff, and whoever else you may call, it's our job to help prepare you to do the ministry. Go back to the football illustration. Steve Spurrier doesn't play the game. Steve Spurrier coaches, the other coaches coach, direct, train, encourage, teach, so that the team can play the game. You're the team. 
You're not the spectators. You aren't here to observe the ministers doing ministry. You are here to be prepared to do the ministry that God wants done. The role of the minister is not to do the works of service. While the members hear sermons and, you know, kind of keep the church going in one way or another. It's a whole different way to look at this. A whole different way to understand this. The biblical principle is that all members are, are ministers. Now, why is it always exactly that way? If you think back to the Old Testament times, there were the priests. And the priests did the work around the tabernacle of God. Only the priest could offer the sacrifices. Only the priest could perform certain rituals. Only the high priest could go behind the veil of the temple and, and into the holiest place and there make atonement for the sins of the people. But do you remember what happened when Jesus was crucified and at the moment he died? The veil in the temple was torn in two from the top to the bottom. The way was opened to God, the very presence of God for everyone through the death of Jesus. And now, since we can all go into the presence of God, we all have the right to stand before God and we all have the right to minister to God. Simon Peter, one of the apostles, who got it first head from Jesus, told about it. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 5 and 9. You also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices to God through Jesus Christ. He's talking to all of us believers. He says, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of Him who called you out of darkness into His wonderful light. We are those who are a holy priesthood. We are those who offer spiritual sacrifices to God. That's our privilege and that's our responsibility. All of us are now ministers through the death of Christ. Now, if you look at verse 12, it says, what are we to do? The, the pastors are to prepare God's people. To prepare is a, the Greek word is used sometimes of setting a bone. In the Gospel of Matthew, it was used of the disciples when they went out and got their nets in repair. You know, so that they could, you know, they were fishermen. And so they, you know, would, you know, get a, fix any holes, make sure they were laid out right, make sure they were folded properly. You know, get them ready to use again. So the idea to, behind that word prepare is that put in a condition where it can be used. So the role of the minister is to help the members be put into a condition where they can be used to do the ministry, the work of the church. And then, you know, it goes on and, and talks about that as well. Now let me back up and share that last thought there. You know what our church is? It's a repair shop so that we can be repaired to that which might keep us from being ministers. And it's like a tech school where we can learn the skills that we need to be able to do the work that God wants us as the people of God to do. He wants us to do the works of service, as it says there. Prepare God's people for works of service. What's a work of service? 
It means that we're to be engaged in works of service. We're to be involved in it. The members are to be involved in it. And it's, we're doing what God is leading us to do so that we might carry out His purpose, so that we might show His love, so that we might meet the needs of the people around us. That's our task, is to be doing things like that. Now, did you notice then here in verse 15, it says we are to grow up into Him who is the head, that is Christ. Christ is the head of the church. We're the body. Now, when Christ was here on earth in the body of Jesus, what did he do? Well, he fed hungry people. He helped sick people. He comforted grieving people. He taught the Word of God. He proclaimed the Word of God. He encouraged people. He corrected people. Guess what? We're the body of Christ. What does he want to do? The very same things he did with the body that he had when he was here on earth in the God-man Jesus. And he is leading us to be his body in the world, to be his servant in the world, to do his work in the world. Several years ago, we were doing some planning at Newberry. We had a member of the South Carolina Baptist Convention uh, staff name was Ron Palmer. I think he was working with the education in Sunday school then. But he said something I've never forgotten. He said the first Protestant Reformation took place when we put the Bible in the hands of the people, in the hands of the laity. He said the second one will take place when we put the ministry in the hands of the laity, in the hands of the people. What's better? Five people trying to do everything that needs to be done? Are 400 doing everything that needs to be done? We need to understand the concept that we're supposed to follow as the people of God. And that's what we want to see happen here. That's what we've been working toward over the past several months, that we're moving toward this understanding. That's why we adopted the goals that we adopted. You remember that we, we adopted a goal about evangelism with our you know, transitional focus emphasis. We adopted a role about communication. We adopted a role about you know, some of the things that need to be done with the building. But we adopted two others. One of them was discipleship, and the other had to do with organization. And the idea behind those two, I'm, not, I'm just explaining those, I'm not making them higher than the others, but the idea behind the discipleship goal is that we give our members the training that they need to grow up into Christ, to learn the skills so that they can be ministers for Christ. And, and we're, we're trying to look at the church as a, as a say, a, a factory where we take the, the raw material of someone who hasn't yet become a believer, bring them to the place that they're a believer, train them in the things of the faith, help them develop skills so that they finish, after they've been in the church for a while, being able to be a minister and to serve others. And we did the organizational thing so that, you know, we might make it easier to run the church. You know, if you look at all your committees, if you look at your organizational structure, you could spend a whole lot of time, a whole lot of energy. You could take the efforts of a whole lot of people and absorb it all in running the church. And that's not our primary goal. We can do it easier. 
we can do it more efficiently so that more of us are freed up to do the ministry that Christ wants done out in the world. And that's some of the things that we're working toward. Now, when we start working toward those things, some good things are going to happen. And, you know, it's just like what's spelled out here in the Scripture. Look at verse 12. Prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. We want the body of Christ to be built up. We want it to be built up in numbers. We want to somehow or other be able to make a bigger impact on our society so that others have the opportunity to come into the church, to understand the love of God, to hear the truth of God, to understand that they need a Savior because they have sinned, to understand the righteousness and the holiness of God so that they will realize that they've got to have a Savior so that they can have eternal life. And so... As we do that, the church is built up, built up in numbers. You know, and you know what that takes? It doesn't take a program. Programs don't work too good with that. It takes people. It takes people to bring others into the programs, into the services, into the, to the worship. It's got to be the people. So we as the body of Christ, have to be taking the opportunities where we have them, where we live and where we work and where we play to share Christ and to bring Him, them into where they will, can hear. And then we're built up in strength. We seek to continue to strengthen ourselves so that we are spiritually strong to do what Christ wants to have done. Then there will be unity in the church. In verse 13, it says, that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith. Now, sometimes that's kind of hard. Why is it kind of hard? Because a lot of us have a serve me attitude. There was a church one time having a lot of trouble getting enough volunteers to, to do everything that needed to be done in the church. And so they were having a staff meeting, and you know, it wasn't this church, but it was another church. And the, the, one of the staff members said, the problem is... There are too many people in this church who are trying to say, here, tie my shoe. Hey, I've got young red kids. And uh, for a good while, it was always, my shoe's untied. So they hold up their foot, and you tie their shoe for them. But you know, after they get a little bit older, they got to learn to tie their own shoe. You don't want to be running around tying the shoes for a 14-year-old. I don't know. By then, they surely could tie their own shoe. But we don't do that spiritually sometimes, do we? We keep saying, this is my need, meet it. That's my need, meet it. We're looking to be served. And what did Jesus say? Follow me, you're going to be a servant. You're to be the one during the serving. And if enough of, that, enough of us have that attitude, what happens? Everybody gets served. Everything gets done. So that helps to the unity in the church. Unity comes when we recognize that we're part of a team and we've got a purpose. It comes when we accept others, even when they're different from we are. Now, again, think about the body. As he's talking about the body here, Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 said the church is like a body. Not everybody's the eye. If everybody was an eye, where would the hearing be? He said, not everybody's a foot. Well, not everybody's a head. 
Think of your body. A whole lot of different things that aren't alike at all, but when you put them together, then you've got a functioning human being. That's the way we're to be at a church, as a church. You know, what, you're different from me, I'm different from you, both of us are different from the next person, and that's the way it's supposed to be. And we take all of our gifts, all of our outlooks, all of our ideas and work toward the same goal, and we're functioning like we're supposed to function. We're working together to accomplish a goal. And then there will be greater knowledge of the Son of God. Again in verse 13, and in the knowledge of the Son of God. He just makes it clear. We come to the knowledge of the Son of God, head knowledge. We've got to learn some things from the Bible. We've got to learn, you know, what the Bible teaches. From the Bible, we learn about Jesus and what Jesus like is like. We learn about the requirements of God. You know, we, we've got to find out things about Jesus that come from the Bible. We start out with head knowledge, but it can't stop there. We also need heart knowledge. We need enough heart knowledge to get to the place where we think like Jesus thought. How did Jesus think? How did Jesus think? Think about what he prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane. Father, I don't want to go to the cross. But it's not what I want, what you want. We've got to get that heart knowledge in the sense that we're surrendered to doing what God wants us to do. And we've also got to have that heart knowledge because we've got to see people like Jesus saw people. We've got to look at them with compassion. Remember what it says in Matthew 9? When he saw the multitudes, he had compassion on them because they were with, like sheep without a shepherd. Look around you. People running every which direction, trying to find fulfillment, trying to find life, being led astray, being destroyed in the process. Don't get angry. Be compassionate. They have a great need. And then we need skill knowledge. We need to be taught how to minister, how to share, how to meet the needs that are around us. It goes back to the training that we have to do within the church. And guess what? You've got to learn some of that by doing it. If your daughter wants to learn how to swim, are you going to sign her up for a correspondence course on swimming? No. I have a feeling she's not going to make the Olympics <laughs> if she tries to learn that way. You got, a, you got a, a teenage son. He wants to learn how to drive. You give him a you know, driver's education manual and say, okay, read that. And you never put him behind the wheel of a car. Will he learn how to drive? Uh-uh. You've got to have the opportunities to put things into practice. Guess what? We care is coming up. What is that giving you? It's giving you the opportunity to put into practice how to minister to others. It's a great opportunity to meet the needs that are around us. It's a great opportunity to learn by doing. Skill knowledge. Then there will be maturity in the faith. Maturity in the faith. You know, church to be is meant to be a place where people who aren't Christians become Christians, and then they're new Christians. They're babies in the faith. And they are to grow up. They're to become on the start on the journey toward maturity. And, you know, we like babies, don't we? Babies are just endearing. 
but what if a baby never learns to walk or to talk or to feed himself or herself? Then it's a tragedy. We're to grow up as Christians. We're to be striving to mature as Christians. We're to get to the place where we can be responsible for what we need to do. Where we can focus on the things that are important and not on the things that would just distract us. Where we can get to the place where we're dependable to do what needs to be done when it needs to be done. We get toward maturity. And you know what? That doesn't happen overnight. That takes a while. We're trying to make Christ-like believers. It takes some time. If you want to grow a squash, you can do it in about three months. But what if you want to grow an oak tree? It's going to take years and years. God wants us to be like the oak trees, strong. There for the long haul. Keep on maturing. Some of you will remember Arthur Fiedler who was conductor of the Boston Pops and really made it a, you know, what it is today in the sense of the, the terms of its recognition and the kind of music that it performs. He conducted into well in his 80s. And he was just a fantastic conductor. Conducted other orchestras as well, but conducted the Boston Pops for a long, long time. You, you know what he used to say? He who rests, rots. In other words, we're supposed to keep growing. We're supposed to keep moving. We're supposed to keep doing. Some of you are familiar with the, the story about Johnny Appleseed, you know, supposedly planted so many apple trees throughout the young United States. And uh, when he was an old man, someone came up to him and said, you know, you're still active, you're still vigorous, what's going on with this? He was sitting on his front porch, he pointed to his front yard and said, you see that apple tree? He said, that tree grows a little new wood each year. I plan to do the same. We need the attitude that we're going to keep growing, keep developing, keep being involved, keep serving, because that's what keeps us going, and that's what helps us. So how do we grow? Well, through a knowledge of the Bible. There's no substitute for studying the Word of God and knowing it. We grow once we have a relationship with the Lord Jesus. You know, we're in relationship with Him. It's a personal relationship. We don't just know about Him. We know Him and are growing in Him and following Him. God gives us a call. Jesus said, come and follow me. So we're following Jesus and we're seeking to say, God, what do you want me to do with my life? who I am, the gifts that I have, the position that I have, the, the things that are going on around me. What do you want me to do? Worship and personal devotions. We need to be together as the people of God. We need to be studying the Word of God and praying on our own. Skill training. We need to have the training provided so that we can learn how to do ministry tasks. And then we need ministry practice. Let me iterate this again. We care is coming up. The trip to Guatemala is coming up. Ministry is going to be done to other people. It's going to help other people. It's going to be bless other people. It's going to be used by God to bless other people. But it's not just the other people who are going to get the benefit. Those who participate are going to benefit because that helps us to grow. When we get out and try to engage in ministry, we begin to see the needs. 
You know, a lot of times we as church members are like the guy that Jesus touched his eyes once. He said, what do you see? Man said, trees walking. People, I see people that are like trees walking. Jesus touched him again, and he could see clearly. When we get involved with Jesus, then we begin to see clearly people, who they are, what their needs are. We begin to feel with them. We begin to have compassion with them. And we become more willing to be involved in mission and in ministry. So don't just see the investment in those things as for the people out there. It is. And that's what we're aiming for. But guess what? It pays dividends inside the church with church members. How we become a church which ministers effectively. Ministers are willing to equip the members. Members are willing to be equipped. Members minister. According to this passage of Scripture, that's the way it's supposed to work. Now, think about putting the teaching of this passage into practice in your life. Several things you could do. See yourself as a ministering servant. That's a big step. You're not just here so that your needs might be met. You're here so that you see yourself as a servant of Jesus. What can you do for others? See yourself as a ministering servant. Then you take advantage of the training that's offered so that you could prepare yourself to be a minister. You learn by doing. So try. Get out and minister. Get out and do something. If it works out well, you might think, hey, this is what I'm good at. If you are a flop at it, try something else. Well, find the place where God wants you and see life as a continual effort of growth and ministry. Because I tell you what, if you don't have a reason to get up in the morning, you're just going to stay in bed and get nowhere. But if you've got some reason to get up, man, life's exciting. You know, it's, it's almost like, you know, you're on... Well, let me put it this way. I heard a man say one time, you know, I love my work. I love my work so much. Every day is like a vacation. You know, if you love your work, every day is a vacation. If you get to the place where you love serving God, man, every day is a vacation. It's just exciting. We're going to sing a hymn. It's, we are called to be God's people. Kind of goes along with this real well. It's number 391. And then during the offertory, some of these things are going to be on the board, giving you a chance to think about them. <laughs>